Hello and welcome to the All Terrain Podcast, brought to you by the Youth and Children's Ministry Unit of the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom and Ireland Territory. My name is Matt White and in each episode I'll be inviting a guest to take a hypothetical hike with me as we find out about their real life journey to this point. Along the way, they'll make four choices and answer four questions. In this episode, our guest is Dr. Russell Rook. Russ is a founding partner of the Good Faith Partnership. Having previously served the Salvation Army, Labour Party and numerous social enterprises and charities, Russ now works with politicians, governments, faith communities, NGOs and civil society groups on a range of issues including migration, social justice and religious freedom. It really was a pleasure to catch up with Russ and I can't wait for you to hear this one. Let's get into it. Hello, Russ. Welcome to the Old Rain Podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's lovely to see you. Uh, now, I've given you an introduction and said a little bit about what you're up to, but uh, for people listening who would probably have known you best from uh, your days in the mission team and then into a love, uh, what have you been doing since those days and what are you up to right now? Um, I've, I've done lots of things since those days. Um, some of it successful, much of it not. Um, I, uh, I started a charity which created some schools with local mm. churches. Uh, called Chapel Street and did some healthcare work and other sort of community programs again in really sort of challenging communities. I spent a bit of time working for the Labour Party and I was part of a, a gem, general election campaign that didn't go very well in 2015 and then um, myself and a, a friend Tim Livesey who worked together in, in that job needed to find another job and so uh, we created a thing called the Good Faith Partnership which is mostly what I do now and um I don't know really. I, I, I mean, I, um, I, I call myself a political consultant, which means that, you know, conversations at parties don't go on for long. People don't <laughs> want to talk to consultants, let alone political consultants. Um, but quite a lot of what I do is about helping um, political leaders to understand the world of faith mm. or faith leaders to understand the world of politics. Mm. And I work on a number of issues. Uh, at the moment, I'm quite taken up um, helping um, all kinds of groups to get part of the government's program to welcome Ukrainians, mm. uh, their homes, Ukraine scheme. So trying to find ways of, of helping the, the now hundreds of thousands of people in the UK who mm. want to give refuge and sanctuary to a Ukrainian to, to find a way of, of helping them to do that and to help mm. organizations, whether it be the Salvation Army, the Church of England, mm. um, sports organizations, businesses, all kinds of institutions to say, what, what can you do for uh, people in Ukraine who are having the most horrendous time right now? Mm. And we're recording in March 2022. So when you say about uh, that scheme, I mean, the government announced they were going to have something like this a week ago, 10 days ago. Like we're, this is very yeah. new whenever we're having this conversation. So that's a, an incredibly uh, live issue, right? In terms of just trying to get that even set up, I guess. Yeah. And, and um, uh, I, I was really privileged, Matt. I mean, the Salvation Army and a bunch of other organizations did an amazing job in in 2015 when we had the, the sort of Syrian refugee mm. crisis and uh, the Salvation Army amongst other organizations helped to pioneer or what we call co-create a thing called the community sponsorship scheme which was the first time really in the United Kingdom that you as a church or a community group could welcome a family of refugees and and resettle them and welcome them to your community and, and it's been amazing lots mm. of Salvation Armies have been involved in that lots of churches um, lots of other groups and so what the government's trying to do now I mean that's relatively small about mm. 600 people have come through that scheme since 2015 but the government now wants to make it possible for many thousands possibly tens of thousands possibly more people mm. um, to actually host and and look after a refugee in their own home and that's a wow. that's a big task and um, yeah. a big audacious yeah. compassionate exciting yeah. slightly scary goal yeah. and um 
yeah, it's going. We'll see if it happens. <laughs> and, <laughs> we'll and, see how. Well and outside of all that, if there is any outside of that, obviously you're you're married. You've got family. Tell us about your family and, and where they're up to. Because again, many of us who would have worked with you a long time ago remember uh, two very small boys who used to to, yeah. to be in your family. I, I don't think they're quite as small these days, are they? No. So Joe, who I'm actually picking up from university later tonight, he arrives back on the bus um, from Durham. So my eldest is Joe. He's studying uh, sport at Durham University. Wow. Um, he's the one who got absolutely kind of yeah destroyed in teenage years at school when lots of his friends and even some of his teachers found various sermons that I'd given that were from my love days that were on YouTube somewhere with stories about him poor guy but he's really come through pretty well considering and Toby Toby's 17 so he's lower wow. six and my wife Charlotte is a cellist although hasn't obviously been playing a great deal the last yeah. couple of years but I've done a lot of teaching on Zoom. She's an expert mm. in teaching the cello on Zoom. So yeah, and um, yeah, so that, that's it really. We still live in, in Morden. And mm. I guess the other thing for me is that um, uh, on July the 2nd, if, if all goes well, I'll, I'll be ordained as an Anglican minister in secular employment. Wow. So sort of big change in my life. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's I'm not, um, my spiritual director said to me, I'm not sure if you could run a church, but you could definitely kill one. So taking him, taking his word, we decided to go for a different type of ministry, which is not running a church, which everyone who's listening to this podcast and knows me will be thanking the Lord that I'm not running a church. But, you know, in truth, I, I've always seen what I, I do in, in Westminster as a ministry. Mm. Um, over the last few years, I felt that somehow I was being called to make it more of a ministry and certainly to be more accountable for it as a ministry mm. rather than just being some kind of lone ranger oh. running around Westminster trying to do meaningful things. And so as of July the 2nd, I'll be doing it as uh, part of the Church of England. I'm sure we're going to come back to some of what you just said, because that sounds very much like it's going to tie into some of our questions. But one final thing before we get going, uh, obviously in the New Year's honours list, uh, you were honoured. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all slightly embarrassing, to be honest. I, 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 I know, that's why that. I asked. That's the only reason I've asked, because I wanted to see your face. Yeah, I hope the questions get easier to answer. Um, yeah, I received um, I received uh, um, an OBE in mm. the New Year's Honours list, which I think is, you know, um, for, for services to social action and to Christian social action. And I think, you know, in some ways, I mean, it's rather wonderful, but it, it's only possible off the back of lots of people who I've just had the privilege of working with in the Salvation Army mm. in Chapel Street, good faith and uh, uh, my work in Parliament. And uh, and so I think you realise they say they say you get an if you get an MBE, it's probably because you did the work. And if you get an OBE, it's probably because someone else did the work for you. And I think that's probably <laughs> Well, entirely true, but hopefully the credit can be shared. Well, I, I said congratulations to you at the time, but I'm going to say it again, because I think many of us who have had the privilege of working with you felt that was very well deserved and continues to be. So a huge congratulations on that. That is a, a, a wonderful honour. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, now, let's get going on, on this. So uh, we have the four questions that we always answer. But before we get going, we make two choices. And the first choice is this. Where are we walking on our hypothetical hike? Well, I thought about this a lot, you know, um, and... <laughs> I, I really, really love walking. In, in the last few years, I've got into this idea of sort of, I've, 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 I've lined up a number of friends to go on pilgrimage. Mm. And, uh, and every single time I've sort of cancelled it. Um, but hopefully on Friday, I am, fortunately, this isn't going out before Friday, is it? Because on Friday, I'm taking a friend for a surprise 
birthday pilgrimage okay. for his 50th birthday. Okay. It's not very exotic. We're going on pilgrimage to Blackburn, okay. um, to Blackburn Cathedral from one of the oldest church sites, wow. about nine miles outside of Blackburn. And we're walking into Blackburn together. He lives in that kind of neck of the woods. And so um, I was thinking, should, should this be about a pilgrimage in Blackburn? And, and I think probably not. I think we'll, we'll, we'll go. For, if I've got the choice of going anywhere. anywhere um, I think we'll go anywhere. And I think what, what I would go to is actually, I, I was one of those Christians who never really kind of got the fascination with the Holy Land mm. and going to Jerusalem and Palestine. And, uh, and then in the last few years, uh, my work has taken me there fairly regularly, mm. at least before the pandemic. And, um, and it is astonishing and it is amazing to walk on the streets where jesus walked mm. so i think i think we'll we'll go for a we'll go through a walk through the old city of jerusalem to the church of the holy sepulchre where the site of the, the death and the resurrection of jesus i mean i mean i'm turning 40 this year so if you want to surprise me on a friday with a with a trip oh. to there i'll actually take a real one yeah. as well as a hypothetical one yeah. um yeah. who's coming with us so you get one living one dead one fictional so who's joining us on the hike that's really difficult you know um i i, I was thinking this 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 um this week because um actually when I when I get ordained in July you've got to take one or two people with you as you mm. as you walk through the cathedral and um the problem is I I could take about 36 people with me um because <laughs> in fact probably 336 or 3600 people because it's that I remember Bart Campolo saying once that ridiculous um the, I'm sorry, I'm going to upset some people now who love the footprints phone, but that idea that you look back in the footprints mm. in the sand and there, there was one bit where you kind of only saw one, mm. one thing because that's where Jesus carried you. And his point was, no, at that point, I needed the whole community of God to kind of carry me. And then mm. I've been carried by the whole community of God. Mm. I, I, I think for living, I would probably have to take my, my, my sort of oldest friend and mentor, Phil Wall. Because yeah. Phil has been the person who I came when I was 18 years old. I went out on my year out for God with the Salvation Army, convinced that I could, you know, basically go back and do music after that year and that God had signed off on me not having, being in full-time ministry. And then within about three minutes, I realized that God did love me, but also Phil had a wonderful plan for my life. So <laughs> Phil has been my sort of my friend and my mentor and my mm. big brother ever since. I think he would be the living one. Mm. I have to take someone who's not living. Yeah, one dead, one fictional. I think, again, this like, it was really difficult. I was wondering about my grandmother who passed away a few years ago, who was an amazing inspiration. And as, as I think about going further in my ministry, there's lots of things I want to tell her and talk mm. to her about. But I actually, the person who's, who's not with us anymore, who I'd love to take with me is a guy called Leslie Newbigin, who was a, who was a missionary. And I had the privilege when I was at university of, of reading to Leslie. He was going blind in later years. And I used to go to his old people's home every few weeks and just read to him so that he could, keep abreast of stuff so you mm. could keep writing keep preaching and keep teaching and and i always wish i'd had longer with him because mm. he was most the not only the wisest person i i think i've i've ever known but also when i walked away from his old people's home every week and went back to the train station i it was always that question was i with leslie or was i with jesus and the answer mm. was always yes mm. so i think he was just someone who mm. Has had a deep impact on me mm. and in terms of fictional mm. that's a really tricky one well i thought it was a really tricky one and then you know when you think you're thinking thinking, thinking and then suddenly the, the the answer is blindingly obvious uh some good friends of mine from a love days um made a lovely got a cartoonist to make a picture of me on my 40th birthday uh, and i'm i'm 50 um later later this year and so 10 years ago and this cartoon was it basically the cartoonist puts you 
in the scene of your favorite TV show and oh, sort okay. of blend you yeah. with your favorite character. And so the cartoonist put me behind the desk in the West Wing as President Bartlett and um, with my motto, what's next? Because that's pretty much my motto as well as his. And yeah, he, he would be my fictional character. So I'm sorry, it's, it's three white men, which is terribly kind of, but anyway, that those are the three that I came up with. I mean, I, I would have quite happily picked out Bartlett from an envelope, like a mind reader, because I thought that was, I was, I was worried you were going to give me Iron Aaron Man or Brown. something and throw me off, but I was going to go, yeah, I mean, I think I started watching The West Wing because of you and yeah. everyone else who was connected to I Love at the time, who went on about it, and then I, you know, I've watched it four times since, I think, just brilliant. That's a great lineup. I'm very excited. I'm there too, with microphones, uh, but I'm really, really excited to be on that walk. Now, every guest here on the All Train Podcast answers the same four questions, and the first one is this, how do we face change? Well, you know, I, I, I'm an interesting person because I, I have an interesting relationship with change. And particularly if you ask my wife. Mm. So I generally find change exciting. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was texting a friend the other week um, who's, who's also involved in refugee work around the world. And um, she was saying, you know, she was asking me some questions about what we were doing with our work here and I actually quoted Phil. Phil used to have this quote which was if it ain't broke break it mm. and um, and we were talking about the fact that we created a pro policy which we needed to kind of break it so it could be bigger mm. and more open so our, our policy for refugee resettlement for the Syrians is resettled 600 people which is brilliant but we need now to break it open because the government wants to resettle thousands and thousands of Ukrainians by putting them in people's homes and so I think for me there's sometimes I get I, I'm a bit of a danger and and one of the reasons I failed particularly as a leader at times is because I'm very good at the start when lots of change is needed and then actually when change needs to sort of slow down and things need to be you know consolidated on and you know systems put in place and you know things need to slightly quiet mm. down and become more steady and more solid and you know I'm not very good because I have a very short attention span and I'm quite wedded to change so I want to change things mm. again and so for me I've had to learn about when I feel tempted to change things and that is not often a sign that things need to change. It might be a, a sign that I need to change what I'm doing rather than, you know, I need to go do something new because if I try and mess with what we've already done, it's going to break. And sadly, I think probably, I can think of two or three times where I think I, I've, I've messed that up badly mm. by thinking that everything needs to change again when actually what it needed to do was sort of stay the same and grow slowly. And I, it was what it really was, was a sign that I should go off and change something else. Um, and I also have to manage it because obviously, most people don't like change um and i'm i'm married to charlotte who is amazing and um can't stand change and so you know so sometimes it's not just about how you manage change in your work or your own life but you have relationships with other people who manage change differently and so charlotte's plan is look russ you can have as much change and chaos in your life as you want as long as my house, my family, my friends, my church, this stays the same mm. and, it, and your, mm. your man doesn't come back to the house. You know? mm. So I think for me, there's two things. I've had to learn to understand my own drive to change things and be about aware of when it is right and God is asking me to make a change mm -hmm. to something or when it's right and God's just asking me to make a change and do something different. Mm. Um, 
and but also to cope with the fact that most people find change very scary now and i do as well so mm. it's not that mm. i'm not fearful of change i am but many people find change much more terrifying than i do and actually if i want to be on a team and be a good team player or if i want to be married to someone who doesn't like change or if i want to have relationships with people who generally fear change then actually i have to know how i sort of handle myself around them and uh, try not to mess up their lives as as much as my own that's really interesting because i guess the question often leads us to think about the sense of almost that uh the change is either inevitable or that the change that we then speak about was a good thing anyway. And yeah, and yeah. we don't often, I guess, stop to think about the ramifications for the ripples of, of people out from that, either in, like you say, in terms of people around you who maybe don't, or yeah. that other bigger thing, which I was really fascinated by, a sense of, am I being asked to change this or is this asking mm. me to change? Which is a very yeah. different way of looking at that, isn't it? In terms of what is this moment yeah. asking of me? Yeah, And I guess in either way that people respond to change, either being fearful for not, so not doing it or just being gung-ho and doing it, that question is probably quite a, a foundational one for you in terms of these days, how you then respond to something. Yeah, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm, I'm wedded to the idea of doing something new, doing something different. Mm. So change is kind of part of that. Um, but I think also, I mean, so the first person, one of the persons I could have taken on my walk is a, is a guy called Major Samuel Edgar, who mm. was my youth officer in the Salvation Army when I was sort of 16, 17. Mm. Samuel was really the first person who, who tried to disciple me and did the best he could, mm. bless him, with, with, very, with very kind of <laughs> very raw and dodgy material. Um, but I always remember that, that we, Samuel was, it still is, is a fiery preacher. And I remember mm. my home call. There were some people who would book his they would book their holidays when Samuel came to speak on a Sunday mm. because he was he was he was su he was a prophetic preacher and he wasn't scared to challenge me. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the only lines I do remember from any sermon in the in the you know in my years of growing up was I remember him shouting from the platform, "Why do we sing the line change and decay in all around by sea? Why is you know if you don't start changing, you'll start." decaying and this idea that we've seen change and decay is the same thing actually it's the change that stops us decaying mm. it's the, it stops this kind of entropy this decline yeah. you know this random kind of um this this kind of random dissipation and 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 and, and diminishing and so i think for me i am you know i'm always, I'm always looking for change mm. um but i have to bear in mind that sometimes not, not everything does need changing and certainly not everything is mine to change yeah and how i guess then what tools do you have at your disposal or in what ways do you start to discern the difference because i guess there'll be people listening who might resonate with what you've said about that sense of i'm the person who always just wants to do that and and actually that might this might be the first time someone's ever heard someone go oh it doesn't you don't have to do it it, it might be something else what tools do you use or, or what have you learned over the years that allows you to know the difference between the two or start to even work that out um, I'm not sure I've got many tools, but I, I have learned that um, it just it just takes a whole team of people to keep you on track in life. Mm. You know? um, and so um, I was thinking this uh, earlier today, really, was, um, you know, um, I, I had some I had to, in 2014 and 2015, I, I suffered from quite a severe anxiety disorder. Um, which was at times quite debilitating. It was one of those things I managed to keep going and most people wouldn't have noticed. Mm. Probably anyone who knew me close did notice that things weren't great, but for most people I managed to sort of mm. cover it up. 
Um, and, and, and really what I've realized since that time is that actually to, to do life well, I mean, it, it, discipleship is a team sport. There's a reason why Jesus calls, you know, 12 and 72 and all the rest. Um, and, you know, it, again, that's all the people that could come on this walk with me. You know, it could be Phil, it could be Viv, my spiritual director. It, it could be Nula, who's been my psychologist and therapist for a few years. It's really helped me with some issues. It could be Janet, who was a counsellor, who helped me with some real family challenges I have. Um, you know, that it could be Maeve, uh, my boss um, in, 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 in the political side of my life, who's been a real sort of discipleship buddy, but also a mentor. And I think mm. having people who know you well um, and who are prepared to call you out and also prepared to say, do you know what, Russ, I'm, I'm worried about you. I think you're in danger. I think you're acting outside of um, uh, your beliefs, your values, mm. your your own sense of integrity and authenticity and virtue. I, mm. I think you're, you could be, you know, and I'm, I'm really fortunate in that regard. And Phil, who is on me, with me on this walk, is the first person to, to be able to, to call me out and say, mm. Russ, I'm slightly worried about some of the things I'm seeing here. Mm. Um, do you need to about, do you need to about think about this, that, or the other? And, um, and, I, and I think for me, it's not so much about having the right tools, but it's about having the right team, mm. the right team around you who can um, help you not, not to make too much of a mess of things. I remember one of my favorite core officers, a guy called Ian Mayhew, when we planted Brains Park Community Church, uh, he said to me once, our job is to see all that you do and not to be impressed. Mm. And there's this whole sense of people like me want people to find us deeply impressive, but actually having someone who we know is just not that impressed mm. is really, really useful. The second question flows then quite naturally because the second question is how do we move through suffering? And you've talked about your own experience in 2014, 2015. And I guess then part of that answer would be the same. Am I right in terms of the people that you, you move through it with? Yeah, I think so. I think it's about people. But I also think um, if I think about that 2014, 2015, those two really difficult years, one, one of the problems for me was, so I'm, you know, I, um, I like to win. And I find failure, um, um, my personality type finds two things quite difficult, finds conflict difficult, and it finds failure fatal. And obviously where, that, where you feel like you're getting into failure also tends to be a time also where you find yourself in conflict. Mm. And so in 2014, 2015, I was trying to run a charity and doing a terrible job of it, and it wasn't going very well. And, um, and so what happens at, at first when uh, someone like me, when we start to fail, we, well, first we fight, and then we, when we realize we're not going to be able to win. <laughs> and so the failure is becoming not only fatal, but kind of inevitable. Mm. Um, we, we tend to fly, mm. you know, it's fight or flight. And if the fighting doesn't work, then you get out of it. Mm. And I, I regret in that period, I did suffer. That was a really difficult time. Um, I had a very bad panic attack on a train. I had all kinds of things happened and I, and I didn't, I'm not to be, I mean, I was, I was the cause of most of my own problems. So I, I don't want to sound like I was some kind of heroic victim. I really, I really wasn't. But I think one of my failures was actually to really sit and embrace it. You know, we're coming up to, when we're recording this, we're coming up to Easter and this idea of, you know, Jesus is the suffering servant. Mm -hmm. I took my, to my, my youngest, Toby, went to youth church that we, we go to on Sunday evenings um, yesterday, because today's Monday, that's right. And the guy was talking last night about the fact he was talking about Jesus in the garden and take this cup away from me, but no, your will, not mine. 
And he was just saying, you know, the reason why Jesus was willing to experience the psychological trauma in the garden, followed by the physical trauma of being tortured and executed, was because without going through that, he couldn't truly know us. That's mm. how much he wanted to know us. And that willingness of God to embrace suffering, because for somehow it would make him able to love us, mm. to know us, to understand us, to embrace us in a whole new way when he didn't need to is mm. just so profound. Mm. And I think for me, my, my biggest regret was actually I didn't embrace the suffering. I mm. found too many ways to try and get out of it, to run away. And I didn't realize that actually, what you gotta do sometimes is realize that, you know, suffering is part of the game. It comes with every mm. human life. I have endured relatively little suffering you know, you and I can look at friends who, you know, have lost loved ones, mm. have had horrific situations in their lives, have mm. suffered tremendously in terms of physical health or mm. trauma or, mm. you know, and I've had, I've had a very protected life. Mm. And I regret that in that moment, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to embrace the suffering more. And I don't know what, to be honest, I don't know what that would have meant mm. to be there. But it was so excruciating. I just wanted to pretend it wasn't happening, deny, run away, anything, you know, mm. so that it a factor. And so I, I think I think back a lot on those days. Um, and I do know, let's, I mean, let's just to give it a bit of a more cheerful end, you know, God did something in those days that mm. he couldn't have done with me in any other way. Mm. So I don't, I don't regret them. Um, I regret some of the mistakes that led me there. And I regret more that I didn't learn more in those moments. Mm. Um, but God is tremendously gracious. Mm. And uh, yeah. I guess for anyone who was listening right now, who was going through anything in, you know, either similar or, or completely different, but in any sort of suffering, the idea of embracing it might feel incredibly alien or, or even, I don't want to hear that. What, what is it? I guess just, what does that mean? What does that, what does that mean when you say to embrace the suffering? How would you define that or unpack that a little more for people? I think, how would I define it? I would say, um, I would say, firstly, don't run away from it. I would say, acknowledge the situation you're in, um, as difficult as it is, mm. and recognize that Jesus has already been through that and worse for you. Mm. And he's there with you in the moment. Mm. And so there is the potential of you finding him in a whole new way that you're not going to find him on the, the next mountaintop or in whatever mm. you experienced the last month, the last year. And so I think, you know, I don't say it glibly because mm. I know when you're in it, the last thing you want is it. I, I remember, so I used to, in those, I, I go to morning prayer for um, uh, um, uh, St. Martin the Fields in Trafalgar Square. And for those, you know, in, in the Anglican morning prayer service, there's, there's, there's always at least one, sometimes two or three psalms. And I would read those words which talk about God rescuing us from this. And it's like, Lord, when are you going to do it? When are you going to come and do it? So I know that feeling of wanting it over. But I think sometimes um, I didn't sit and find God in it enough. Mm. I just presumed that if I was going to find God, it had to be away from this and I had to escape. And there was one morning um, when I was in morning prayer and 
Uh, I, I tried, I, my, my phone was off, but it was on vibrate. And I, and it kept up, the text messages kept on coming on, buzzing on my phone, like feel it in my pocket. And I eventually couldn't not look at it. And I looked at it and it was, I think if I remember rightly, it was, it was someone in the press who was going to write something not very nice about the charity I was running. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I can't, I can't wait to the end of prayers. So I just got to get out. So I, ran, I got, went out of the church to take this call. Um, and it was, a, it was a very difficult call. And the vicar of the church, a guy called Sam Wells, um, about five, five past, 10 past nine, um, and obviously prayers had finished and he'd seen that I'd walked out early. There's only like four or five mm. prayers, so it's not difficult to notice. And um, he phoned me and said, are you still on the premises? And I said, um, yeah, no, I am. He said, do you, do you want to come and see me? So I said, yes, please. So I went and sat in his office and I remember just sitting with him and in complete silence. I explained obviously what was going on and then neither of us said a word. There was just, there were no words to be said. And it was a really, it was a deeply painful moment. And he, he said, and I think he's right, that neither of us wanted to speak because if we spoke, we felt we would, one of us would start crying. And if we started, we might not stop. Um, but you know what, that, of all of that period, and lots of people helped me through those two years, but that willingness of Sam just to sit with me in silence and do nothing, not try and fix it, not try and pray for me, not try and tell me it was going to be all right, not, you know, not just sit with me in silence was, was so profound. And it, it was profound because it's precisely what Jesus does, you know, in that moment where we don't only have questions and only have struggles and can't see a way out. It's not that Jesus comes and makes it go away, but it is that Jesus, you know, is there and he's with us um, and he sees us and he knows us. So I think, you know, that... Uh, yeah when i talk about embracing it it's not because I, it's not a kind of masochistic thing mm -hmm. it's about just acknowledging that this difficult thing is going on i can't fix it mm -hmm. jesus doesn't seem to be fixing it but he here is here with me in it mm -hmm. and he has been through that and worse mm -hmm. so that he can help me through this wow i just think that's really beautiful i i the idea that you sit in silence because anything else would sort of almost take away from almost in a way like you had to be in silence so that you could know that God was right there right not not outside not on the next phone call not in the thing that comes after but right there I just think is a really yeah really beautiful image thank you for sharing it uh we've got to make another choice now uh, and that Ooh. is uh what is on the playlist so uh you've talked already about uh you did a music degree uh and before you came to the, the mission team. Uh, but I know you love music. So what's going to be on this playlist that would be with us on our, our walk? Do you know, I, 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 I was a musician. I, I retired due to letters from music lovers everywhere. <laughs> I've had a music career. I've lived it vicariously through my, my wife, Charlotte, who was a fantastic cellist. Oh, yeah. And it's been brilliant to, to, to live in a house which is kind of filled with music and mm. with someone who can play really beautifully. Um, but I'm, I'm very fickle with with music and um i tend to have i have kind of an album or a song that i'll live with for a very long time mm -hmm. i'm i'm, I'm it, it, this isn't it I'm, I'm listening at the moment there's a fan on youtube there's a fantastic performance by two choirs one called the king singers and one called Voches eight mm. of billy joel's lullaby mm. and it's a fantastic song it was originally sung to gregorian chant and it was the idea of a monk losing his faith and then he he wrote it as a as a lullaby 
Um, and it's utterly beautiful. And it's one of those things I, I literally could listen to that, that sort of four minutes back to back for two or three hours and not be bored. Mm. So that's the thing. I tend to, I tend to get stuck with something and, and that's it. That's not going to be my choice. And I, I really struggled with this one between two things, um, two very, very different sort of bits of music. Um, when, when I did study music, I was, uh, I mean, I, I still am, but I did my dissertation at at college on, Len on the work of Leonard Bernstein and particularly mm. around the role of faith um, in Bernstein's work. And he was a fascinating character whose music encompassed, you know, Jewish faith, Christian faith, all kinds of other stuff that he threw in there. Um, and so I'm, I'm slightly taken by the new West Side Story film, which I thought was mm. absolutely wonderful. And due to COVID, I watched on Boxing Day with Charlotte in a in a cinema entirely on our own, which was very weird. Nice. Um, uh, so, <laughs> um, so and and um, and in some ways, I think I think. So I'm going to say there's two things. I'm sorry, I'm going to cheat on this one slightly, mainly because some of you know that that, that in um, the big song in. West Side Story is somewhere mm. and it's this idea and that was really the story of Leonard Bernstein's life is that he was always looking and never quite finding that was mm. it was always somewhere mm. somewhere mm. somewhere and, and you know the pieces those two chords that run all the way through um West Side Story is always this idea that somewhere there's a place for us somewhere mm. you know a place of forgiveness somewhere a place where we can live in kind of unity and oh well all that kind of stuff mm. so and, and and that feels good for a walk because the point of a pilgrimage the point of a walk is that we're trying to go um and the other one i would go to is a very beautiful song which i've listened to more than any other song in 2021 um is a beautiful song by a band called elbow called scattered black and whites and it's um many of elbow's songs are about returning home mm. uh, partly you know, as a rock star suddenly being big and famous and then going back home to this Northwest small working class family and not, and not quite fitting. And, um, and Charlotte always says to me that one of the things that she noticed about me when we first met was that I, I seem to, I seem to be, I seem to never be settled. There was never, a, there wasn't that sort of sense of home for me. And my parents um, divorced when I was, uh, well, they, they separated when I was 17, when I was doing my elements. And, and they, I mean, been amazing parents, mm. and in terms of living through, you know, no, no, no parental breakdown, marriage breakdown is is fun. Um, but they they looked after us, myself and my sister Lindell, so brilliantly, mm. and and helped us through those those days in a way that is truly astounding. Mm. Um, but the sadness for me was both my parents then moved away from my hometown in Portsmouth. And so um, I've, I've never had that sense of going back home. Mm. So much of my life in, in our family is going to start picking Joe up from, you know, the, from the bus station tonight is about trying to create a home, a home for me, for Charlotte, yeah. for our boys who want to come back to. And so for me, that sense of somewhere, that looking out for a place where I don't have to be looking for the next thing or moving on to the next gig or doing the next job or moving to the next town, mm. but that sense of finding somewhere to call my home that that seems to me th those two things sort of bring it together mm. really those yeah we might have found out more in that choice than we may in any other question i mean i feel like i learned okay, yes, i mean right, I, yeah, yeah. we've known each other for a very long time and i think i learned things about you in those two songs that was amazing i was that's it's interesting though isn't it it was only the other, literally a couple of weeks ago that charlotte said to me when i first met you i just i always mm. felt like you you didn't 
you were lost. It's like, really? <laughs> but, but you still wanted to date me and get married to me. You, know, you never told me at the time that I was lost. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting the things when you, you know, you get, I think all of us, we get to, you get to your 40s and think, I really know myself now. And then you get to your 50s and realize I've still got so much more to learn. Um, so yeah. Ah, wow. The next question is this one, which is how do you receive joy? That's a very good question. Um, I'm, this is terrible. I, all these questions, even the ones that are meant to be light, seem to lead to kind of dark places. Um, I'm really, I'm really bad at celebration. Anyone will tell you this, partly because of the last answer, mm. because I'm never that happy with where I am. I want to move on. And so hence going back to President Barlow, what next, what next, what next, what next? And so anyone who's been on teams with me, you know, they're all rubbish because the team will work really hard and we'll get to them, we'll really achieve something. And everyone want to have a party and i'm like no come on what's next mm. so it's an interesting thing i'm not i'm not great at celebration but i i do do joy mm. and um i think for me um i, I you know i i've i've not been massively into the whole love languages thing but but the truth is for me if, if i had a love language as i presume i have i don't i think i did the test once but anyway it's kind of it's definitely it's, it would definitely be quality time i i enjoy time with people and so joy for me is the opportunity to be with people i love people who inspire me people who i enjoy being around people who make me laugh people who make me think um it's time taken to share a meal it's time taken to go for a walk and as we will do on our pilgrimage in blackburn mm. on friday um i don't think Stu knows what he's in for well he literally <laughs> doesn't know. but anyway you know so that that idea of you know literally walking with mm. someone walking mm. with someone through the streets of jerusalem and sharing mm. you know um eating food mm. new experiences so for me it's always been about being with with people people like yourself matt and others who are just you can spend a long time with and then realize look three hours has gone by and I thought I, I think I've only been here for 20 minutes yeah yeah, yeah. I, I that totally resonates as someone who has been fortunate enough to to spend time with you over the last 20 years I think that yeah I think that moment of yeah quality time right being in a place talking you know like you say I mean the, the other handing over books telling telling me what you're reading or sharing the latest series you've watched or a great podcast I'm, I'm fascinated by the the not wanting to celebrate thing because I I also suffer from that I think what in because because I think markers are important aren't they so you must have markers that but they're maybe not the party or the big thing how do you how do you then mark or how do you have those moments or is that something you haven't done enough do you think over the years it's just genuinely something I probably haven't, I haven't done enough. Mm. I can remember some tremendous moments. Um, some tremendous, when, when I have, when I've had the discipline to stop. Yeah. There was a moment and, and acknowledge, there was a moment. Um, so we, we launched, um, when we launched, launched a love with the Salvation Army. Um, at the time, I don't know if the Salvation Army still does it. There, there used to be like a kind of a census, like an audit. And I think it was every two or every three years. I can't quite remember. And they would assess the number of people who were going to church on Sunday or playing in bands or, you know, just the, the you know, statistics around, you know, engagement with the Salvation Army. And I mean, again, we got lots of things wrong. And that was probably mainly my fault. But there were a few things we got really right. And... Uh, about 18 months, two years into a love, they did one of these sentences. And the 
the uptake in Salvation Army youth engagement was astonishing. I mean, it was kind of like, this is, I mean, mm. I mean I, even if we'd, even if we'd had the chance to cook the books, we wouldn't have done it. Mm. We wouldn't have done it that much. You know, <laughs> Too unbelievable. That was, that was unbelievable. No, I don't have to believe that. You know. um, and we didn't tell the team mm. um, until we put them in the London eye one day. And we waited until we get, got, for, for we had like a team day out. And we waited till we got to the top of the London Eye and we said, we're here to tell you some news. And then we read this stuff and it was kind of literally a sort of top wow. of the world. And so I can, I look back on moments like that. Mm. Um, I think what excited me was not, not necessarily a sense of that I'd done anything, but one, it was a team that had worked mm. really hard for a, lot, for a lot of years um, with a fair amount of opposition and, and certainly with no guarantees of success, right? Mm. But also I think the other thing was, you know, that, and that's why I, I loved about you know, mission team and a love was look, we, we got loads of stuff wrong on roots and other things that we did. You know, we got loads of things we didn't, we were, we were stupid. We were arrogant. Well, I was arrogant. I was all kinds of things, but the, there was a genuine move of the Holy spirit going on. There was something happening in those days, mm. the likes of which, if I'm really honest, I've not seen again since. I mean, I've, I've seen glimpses of it, but God was doing something in the Salvation Army through that, through that period. Um, in the 90s and the noughties, um, which was just astounding. Mm. And it, it was generally a thing of like, you know, Jesus was doing these amazing things and, you know, try as hard as I could to mess it up. You know, he kept on doing mm. it. <laughs> and there were amazing people. I mean, mm. like yourself and others around. I mean, it just, it was an amazing community to be part of. And there's nothing like being in that moment where you're thinking something remarkable is happening here. And it, it's certainly not about us. This is you know, this is God and we've just been lucky. I mean, I always used to say, you know, loads and loads of stuff. I can point to many, you know, people, great heroes of mine, again, who could be on mm. this walk like mm. Chicken Margaret Yule and others who yeah. had come before, who've yeah. been banging on the door for renewal in the Salvation Army for generations and mm. not seen it. And it was almost like they, they kind of warmed the door down mm. and then we gave it a little nudge and with the power of the Holy Spirit, the, you know, mm. they, they blew the doors off, mm. as it were. Um, to quote Michael Caine um, and, and it was kind of that, that sense of you know it, we, we, we were sort of standing on the shoulders of giants I guess mm. but anyway but, but also what, what was also happening was something that was beyond us yeah. and um, so I think I can, I can point to moments where I've just seen God at work mm. and I thought that, that is really wonderful to see because mm. I know that's not me and then in this next part of your life then so you've talked about your ordination that comes up in, in July um, I guess the the move into that place and you talked about the fact that you were sort of doing this ministry and that where where do you see joy in your current work and in all the things you do ordination is causing me to have to sort of rewire my life mm. in a way that I hadn't quite imagined now I have a I have a there's this kind of pattern in my life right which is that I can make a decision for God as long as I don't think life is going to look too different after the decision mm. so mm. i decided when i was 17 to go on a year out with this guy phil wall and as long as i could go back a year after and go to music college and become a musician that was fine and then within three weeks i realized oh my word god hasn't signed off on this after mm. all and i've spent my life in some kind of full-time ministry and i'm not going to be a musician and the decision to ordination um I mean, I, I went to it. I mean, it's a very long story. I went to a church service in 2019 in, in St. Martin in the Fields, uh, Christmas Eve, 2019, uh, parish carols. It was a carol service on Christmas Eve. And I went through the service. I, I, 
very rarely have had such a profound experience in a church service. And I went to my spiritual director in January and said, Viv, I, I, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think I might have to work out whether I'm called to ordination. And for the next 18 months, I kind of really, really fought it, really, really fought mm. it. And um, even a few weeks before I had to go to this, I did, most people didn't know. I, but I didn't want to I didn't want to cause hurt to people in the Salvation Army I didn't want to I didn't know if this was going to go ahead so I kept it to a very I mean I'm as you know I've got a big mouth so normally everyone knows what's going on in my life but actually I kept it to a very small group mm. partly because Phil Wall told me to mm. um he's walking beside me telling me to shut up and um anyway so um and then two weeks before my final interview I called I've got this little advisory board who are brilliant and they're all kind of business people and none of them seemed particularly interested in me mm. becoming priest so I thought if I call them together they'll basically say don't go to the interview um and that didn't work so they said you should go to the interview and in the in a few days before I had this really challenging kind of period where there's a brilliant book by a guy called Park, Parker Palmer called let your life speak love it and it's all about the fact that we want to hear God speak and actually if we were better at listening to our own lives we would find that he's already spoken and there's a brilliant image in it he says often we go back to doors that have closed behind in our life and try and open them or knock on them and think why they closed or see if we can get them open again. And his whole point is, if the doors close behind you, you know, why go back? Mm. If the doors close behind you, it means the way is open in front of you. Mm. Why would you go back to a door? It's particularly a closed door, right? Mm. And in a few days before this interview, I really struggled with this image of closing doors. And, you know, I'm closing my door on a political career or maybe running an organization. Mm. All these kind of things that if I choose this, I'm no longer going to be part of my life. To a certain extent, even the Salvation Army, because you can't be a member of the Salvation Army and be an Anglican priest for very good legal reasons, which we won't go into now. Um, so, so, and I woke up on the morning um, of, of my interview because I'd found the last few days very difficult with this whole idea of can I close these doors? And a friend called Ems Hancock, who is amazing. Love Ems Hancock. Brilliantly. Who had not texted me since September 2015. This is now... Uh, July 2021 texted me and said Russ I was praying you for this I was praying for you this morning God just said to say don't be scared of closing doors wow. read Revelation 3 verse 6 and 7 which is behold I open a door for you that no one can shut and you know so I, I got there because wow. I didn't really think I was going to end up there but mm. by that point you realized there probably wasn't a choice to be had mm. but then having made the choice I realized that actually life isn't there's no point doing this if life is just the same as it was before. Mm. And so over the last year, as I've done my training, um, I've realized that God's not just asking me to carry on doing what I'm doing, but just, you know, with a dog collar on or without a dog collar. It will be mm. um, but he's asking me to rewire my life. Mm. And I think the simplest thing to say, which I'm finding really profound, but also really hard. So part of your ordination vows, you you promise to keep morning the office of morning prayer and evening prayer every day mm. so i mean you can do that obviously by going to a church you can do that online the morning prayer mm. app is brilliant and you can, you can do it anywhere you want it's not it's not particularly legalistic but you promise to keep morning prayer and evening prayer and i think the thing i've realized is that the call to ordination and it's not that uh, it's not that you are it's not that anyone else should be called to this is sorry this is this is not saying that i'm being called to some higher level of life i think this is realizing how i've got everything wrong up until this point mm. okay so to qualify this for me prayer up until now has been what you do to prepare yourself for what god wants you to do in the day and because you want god to use you and you want to see miracles and you want to make a difference and so you pray a bit so that the next bit works really well because that's the real work mm. right 
Then at the end of the day, you pray again and say, thank you, God. Didn't I do a great job? Wasn't mm. I amazing? Mm. And I think the thing I've realized in this year of, of formations, it's, um, my track is called a formation track mm. to ordination, is that actually my job is, is to spend time with God at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. That's my job. Mm. And then what happens in between <laughs> happens because I've spent time with yeah. God at the beginning of the day. Yeah. At the end of the day. So my job is to be with God yeah. and see what happens as a result of it rather than to pray to God and then yeah. try and do something for him afterwards. And I think so for me, there's a sort of, this is really challenging. They always say ordination, it's not a job, it's not a status, it's not a title, it's not a role. Um, it, it's about being rather than doing. And so the real challenge for someone like me who's an entrepreneur, who's an activist, who's a social justice person, who's a mission, who's an evangelist, all the kind of thing, the real challenge I find is I've got to rewire my life to say my main job is to learn to be with Jesus and then see what happens as a result of that. Um, and that, that's what I'm trying to learn and probably failing desperately. And, and I guess that's where you're going to receive so much joy, right? That's what's going to be those spaces where that happens. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I think um, uh, one of my failings in the past is I, I like to insert myself into the middle of things because then I think the world genuinely does spin around me. Mm. Um, and actually to realize that my job is to be with Jesus because mm. the world's been him mm. is actually quite a relief mm. after 31 years of full-time ministry. <laughs> one more question, one more choice. Uh, and the choice is this, what's in our snack bag? Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's really quite easy. And again, if, if you, if, if, if my friend Phil Wall was walking with me, you know, he would say, you know, it's, it's a pork pie, it's a tin of Pringles, sour um, cream and onion, oh, yeah. and then, and, and, it, and it will be a pint of milk. Because in, in all the years that we were kind of evangelists and working together and doing missions and weekends at very Salvation Army core and different schools and universities, you know, and driving around in the most horrendous red post office van of which there are lead stories, are legion and legend. Um, wherever we stopped, that, that was kind of what you got. It was a pork pie, Pringles, pint of milk. Solid. I like it. Solid choices. I'm, I'm a little disappointed there's no coffee on your list. I mean, as the person yeah, who, well, who genuinely a, introduced yeah. me to coffee and yeah. made me a grown up. I mean, I'm, I'm a little, you know, all I'm saying is Grinner no, brought coffee. True. Grinner brought coffee. That's all I'm saying. On his walk, he brought okay, coffee. Okay, I mean, yeah, there, there would be Monmouth coffee afterwards. Okay, good. All right, fine. Cool. That's okay. Good. I'll take it. I'll take it. So the final question, and, and this is a fascinating one, because often the questions bleed into each other, but I actually think every answer that you've given up to this point really has in many ways touched on this one, because you've been so honest throughout this whole journey. But the question is, how do you mature in service? And you've touched on that so many times around the things about you've learned about yourself and all those things. And I guess my question is not just how do you mature in service, but what have been the things that have allowed you to unlock those lessons that you seem to have learned about yourself and, and are now able to reflect on? Hmm. I think I spent probably the first 20 years of my life in ministry um, thinking well, actually, when I, when I started working for the Salvation Army full time, so I left music college and I started working. For, so I've been working for the Salvation Army part time through college. And um, I, I um, started working. So I was 23. I just got married. And again, I remember being on a journey with Phil in my sort of first few weeks of full time employment. 
And he said, Russ, the thing I want to, the thing I'm praying for you over the next six months is that you'll learn the difference between gifting and character. And that you'll learn that ultimately gifting isn't as important as you think it is and mm. character is everything. Mm. And I think in truth, whilst I understood what he meant, mm. or I thought I understood what he meant immediately, the truth is it took me about 20 years to learn it. Mm. Because I think in the first part of your life, and obviously some people like Richard Raw, um, uh, David Brooks, others have, have written brilliantly about mm. this. You know, there's a very natural thing that in your young adult life, you play to your strengths. And that, that's part of finding who you are, right? Mm. It's about finding what you're good at. Mm. Uh, it's finding out how you can do the best job, how you can have the biggest impact. It's about building a sense of confidence. I mean, very few people out there who've done anything really significant who don't have some degree of self-belief mm. and good level of self-esteem and mm. uh, an awareness of, of, of the difference they want to make and maybe the difference they can make. Mm. And so I think for sort of first 20 years of my ministry I rightly you know I, I was I was keen to be a success I was mm. keen to do things well I was keen to make an impression I was keen to be liked and loved and all the rest um and that was kind of all all well and good and then I think probably you know in the the latter sort of 10 or so years I've realized that well actually Phil's absolutely right it doesn't really matter how gifted you are the thing that will sustain you is character mm-hmm. not you know, uh, not your kind of your 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 creative or your kind of your your talents or capacities. Mm. So I think for me, the thing I've learned in the last ten years, particularly, is is but to to to, to build that character, you have to you have to be prepared to do some work. Mm. You have to be prepared to to look in the mirror and see the bits that you don't like, mm. and uh, look long enough to find those bits that mm. are actually difficult to look at mm. and you're a bit embarrassed about mm. and you're not very proud about mm. and to think about why what mm. what, what what you know what um and so i think the last 10 years what what has been a journey the journey has been partly to look back on all of my ministry and realize what i didn't do well and some of that's excruciating there mm. are so many things that if you could change it you look, I, it felt like it made sense at the mm. time and i was doing the right and i look back and think no mm. you know so that that's uncomfortable um, but I think also that, that there's there's real treasure there as well, because the reality is, you know, it's that classic thing, you know, on the big day, God doesn't ask us, you know, you know, Matt White, when, why weren't you like more like William Booth or Russell Rook, you know, why, why weren't you more like whoever? And they, he asked, why weren't you more like Matt White and why weren't you more like Russell Rook? And, and, and so for me, that sense of knowing who you are and getting to a point where you're comfortable with it. Yeah the bright side the shadow side the bits you're good at the bits you're not good at the bits you've done well the bits you feel quite shame mm. shame it's been quite important and i think that 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 has been you know there was part of that journey which was was painful because again i like to be a success i like to win i don't mm. like to fail mm. i don't like conflict i don't like conflict with others i certainly like com- in a conflict within mm. myself but if you if you can get to the other side of that um life becomes a lot easier um i'm you know in that, in that sense that there's there's lot there's lots about me that i find still find difficult to live with myself but the truth is um i'm i'm more satisfied i'm more content i don't feel that i have to be in the center of everything with the world spinning around me i um uh yeah i i think it's it's been in that sense i, I you know I, 
I, I, I live with myself better than I have at any other point in my ministry before, but that's because I know myself better than anything I have before. But I'm also aware that there's still so much to learn. So I, you know, I, I think it's very much a work in progress. Yeah. I mean, just, just a huge yes. And I'm into all of that, right? Just, yeah. Recognizing that when you really think about who you are, then you have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, who actually am I? Like not, not what can I do? What can I bring? What can I, you know, what do people like about me? But who actually am I is such an important um, and, and really transformational thing to, to come to, I think. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, again, um, I was going to say it's not corny. It, it's not corny at all. It's that um, for people like me who are activists, who want to win, who want to achieve something, who wants people to think that they're amazing and they've done remarkable things that, it's a hard lesson to learn that Jesus doesn't really need us to do anything. Mm. <laughs> it's not, the, you know, he's no more impressed with me, uh, you know, you know, as a result of doing it, he certainly doesn't love me anymore. Mm. Um, and I, and, and I think that sense of, if you can get to that point where you realize, you know what, Jesus looks at you and says, you know, I embrace you. I cherish you. I love you. I know you, mm. um, you know, there's a, there's a lovely, um, there's a lovely, um, line in, in a commentary about john's gospel when jesus is washing the disciples feet um and uh the commentator says can you imagine jesus kneeling before your feet begging for your love mm. and it's that sense of you know that's the point jesus mm. has come to this planet and begged me to love him mm. uh, why why would i yeah what else would i need right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i myself feel that I'm worth something other yeah. than the creator of the universe coming to this planet to, to know me, to see me mm. and to ask for me to love him. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, so I think, you know, that, that, you know, again, it's, it's very easy to say, and it's mm. very easy to preach. It's quite difficult to do. And I want to be careful because I, I don't think I've got any great depth of character or I've, I've achieved any great kind of, you know, Christian spiritual Nirvana in terms of my own kind of evolution as a disciple. But I, but I've just learned that the gifting is entirely secondary to yeah to trying to find a way to be, to to spend time with Jesus and and somehow if I possibly can to become more like him. What a way to finish, um, Russ. I feel like I have uh, given away one of my greatest secrets in life because spending an hour and a half with you talking about this stuff has you know been so important to me over the past two decades, and now I've kind of ruined it because everyone will want to do it now because they all know what it's like because it's brilliant. Um, but I have been grateful for every conversation we've ever had, and and to have recorded this one because uh, I want to say thank you personally, um, but also just thanks for the the huge way in which you impacted so many of us over the years and uh, and thanks for being on this podcast with me because this has been really lovely and i hope we can have another one of these conversations without the microphones and maybe with some nice coffee in between us in the not too distant future maybe even a pork pie yeah i look forward to it so pring i'll bring the pringles you bring the pint of milk <laughs> uh, listen thank, thank you, you so much it's been absolutely wonderful thank you thank you Another huge thank you to Russ for coming on the All Terrain podcast. It's always a pleasure to catch up with him and especially to hear some of his answers to our questions and the choices as well on this episode. I know, like you, I want to go back and have another listen to that one again. That's it for this episode, but don't forget to share the podcast across your social media channels. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you could give the show a rating or write us a review. All those things help us get the show heard by even more people. 
And you can also now access our brilliant sketch notes and small group questions that accompany each episode. Just search for the All Terrain podcast or click the link in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next time with another guest who'll be facing the four choices, answering the four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain podcast.